privilege always to uh, speak here at St. Augustine's. Um, but it's a real privilege to be able to, like, um, to share some of the story with you uh, today. Um, you know, two weeks ago, um, Steve Gavin, who is on our governance committee, and, um, and myself, we, um, we gathered together in London and we went to a leadership conference. It's an alpha uh, leadership conference. And look, it was an absolutely wonderful uh, trip. And, um, you know, one of the things about um, is, a, you know, a trip like this is we thought about this, we had prayed about this as a governance committee, and lots of people had input into this, both strategically and uh, financially. And it was, a, uh, it was really just the most remarkable trip. You know, when you get together in the Albert Royal Albert Hall, as you do uh, in London, um, they had um, the most, you know, wonderful speakers you could possibly uh, think of. You know, where you're there in the room, you've got um, Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. You know, he's, he's got the biggest brain in the world. He knows like seven languages. He's absolutely amazing. So on the one hand, you've got Rowan. On the other hand, you've got Bear Grylls, um, you know, who's, you know, I don't know, wilderness survivor. But the... Um, there was one speaker who just profoundly impacted me. And um, when um, we, was, we were sitting in the audience and we could, see, we could kind of hear a lot of shuffling and like off to uh, the side, we saw kind of a large contingent of security. They got to the, the side of the stage, you know, they're, they're all supposed to be undercover, but you know, stab-proof vests, they all look the same under T-shirts, right? So they're all there. And then this um, wonderful, um, sprightly, 80-year-old um, um, lady shuffles onto the stage and she's with her uh, interpreter and she comes and she has a seat and she um, has this amazing interview with Nikki Gumbel. Uh, all the security was there because she actually had escaped from North Korea. And so uh, she told this amazing story of her life, really, and she became a Christian uh, when one day, when she was a little girl, she was out in the field and she saw her mother early in the morning um, with her eyes up to the sky, her hands out, and mumbling something. She didn't really know what was going on, so she asked her mother, what, what was she doing? And she said, hey, I, I, I'm praying, and, um, but you're not to tell anybody because, of course, in North Korea, it's illegal to be a Christian and you get executed. Um, so she swore her daughter to secrecy, but she taught her also how to pray. And so she begins to learn how to pray. Um, and what she finds is that her heart opens to God and she has a profound sense of God's presence come into her life. Time passes, and of course, the food crisis in North Korea gets incredibly bad. Um, it gets unbearable. Uh, her family is starving. And so they make a very difficult decision. They make the decision to actually to try to escape from North Korea and go to South Korea. So she's with her family at this time, and so they decide to split up to, in order to make this trip. Her family go through a number of different routes. She goes up through uh, northern China. But unfortunately, uh, she gets captured by the uh, Korean, uh, um, you know, basically uh, security services. You know, China's pretty good surveillance these days. And they, um, they found her, they picked her up, and they took her back to North Korea, and they imprisoned her. 
Um, it's, uh, of course, it's illegal to, um, again, um, escape um, or to uh, try to leave uh, North Korea. So she was placed into a woman's prison. This woman's prison was actually a large steel room and uh, where, um, that was built for 100 women. There's nothing else. There's no privacy there. It's just a large steel room. In one corner, there is a toilet that has a wall around it and a door on it. But apart from that, you, uh, there's a, it's a room built for 100 women, but in this room is actually 150 women. What that means is it's very difficult to find a place to sleep. And at night, if you have a space to sleep on the floor, but you need to go and use the bathroom, then you lose your place to sleep and you finish up standing. Her first nights in the prison, she knew would be the toughest. In fact, the first three days were incredibly difficult for her. She talks about this because in the very, you know, as they, she had one cup of corn a day was your food ration, a plastic cup full of corn per person uh, per day. And in the initial days, as the kind of panic is in, I'm in this steel box, I've got one cup of corn a day. She really struggled with uh, the food rations. There's the boredom as well that goes with it. So it's a mixture of anxiety and boredom as you just kind of, you're, you're in here. And so she found herself uh, praying again, lots of time to pray. During one of those times of prayer, she felt God say to her, I want you to share your ration of corn with the prisoners in with you. And she said, but if I do that, I'm going to starve. And how will I do that? And she felt God say to her, I want people to know that I am with them in the same way that I'm with you. And so you're to share your corn as a way of communicating that. So she took her cup of corn and she began sharing it with um, the people around her. Uh, eventually, people began to ask the question, why, why are you doing this? And, um, and she basically uh, realized that, you know, this is going to be complicated. Because if I communicate that I'm a Christian, then I'm likely to be uh, executed. If I communicate to other people what it means to become a Christian, they also might be executed. So she prayed to God about this, and she felt God say to her, what I want you to do is go to the darkest, smelliest, most dirty place, because people will never suspect I'm there. And so what she did is when she gave out the corn and people wanted to speak to her, she drew a little symbol on her hand that was the symbol for the toilet. And so people would go and meet with her in the toilet, and they would pray together, and many people in that prison actually became, began to open their lives to God and got to know the person of Jesus. Just before her uh, release, um, kind of word got out that, well, there was kind of a rumor that she was a Christian, that other people were becoming Christians in this um, prison cell. And so, you know, for a period of three, over three days, twice and three, um, two periods of three days, she was really um, badly mistreated. I won't go into the details, but just think North Korea. 
really badly mistreated. And um, eventually, um, she found herself like in a very difficult place because she knew that the, the, the torture would be incredibly painful, but she didn't want to give up her name, and she didn't want to give up the names of the other people who were with her in the prison cell. And so she was praying about this, and, she, and this, this word that Jesus gave to her was just, just look at me, just look at me, and you'll get through this. And so as she was being tortured, she had this vision of Jesus on the cross uh, looking at her. And she found that it was, that it was able to sustain her through the six-day uh, period of time. She eventually, um, actually, she got out of the prison and she <laughs> instantly escaped <laughs> to South Korea. And I tell you this story because on stage, she was so grateful for everybody who was praying for her. But she wanted to give us all a message. And this is the message. And I want to honour her and I want to tell you this message today because of what she had actually gone through. And the message is this. She wanted to tell all these, kind of, all these Christian leaders who were gathered, jammed to the walls in the Royal Albert Hall, uh, that Jesus is alive and that Jesus can do anything. Jesus is alive and Jesus can do anything. And I think what's so remarkable about that story and about this woman's life is it's an amazing reminder that actually there is no place that is too dark that the light and the power of the resurrection can't illuminate. There is no situation that is too broken that actually the power of the resurrection can't heal. There is no person that is too far away that God's love and that God's power cannot reach. And I want to remind us of that this morning because what I want to do today is I want to grab some of that, the reality of the resurrection and inject that into our lives today as we talk about the story of uh, St. Augustine's, as we talk about what Jesus has actually been doing in the world and continues to do in the world today. And I want to inject that into our bloodstream, not just so we kind of go crazy and do something, you know, get, go really unhinged on things, but what I want to do is actually re-anchor us back into the story. I want to really re-encourage our faith and actually grow our sense of courage and actually what the person of Jesus can do and does do. That's because Jesus is alive, and actually Jesus can uh, do anything. And I want us to remind us of that, not just, and I want to, you know, as we jump into the story, remind us of actually that's the case, not just overseas. You know, you've got amazing stories of actually what God has been doing, you know, in, in other lands, and in other, in other countries. You know, today there's going to be, like, as... You know, as things go, you know, there's, there's 2.2 or 2.3 billion Christians uh, in the world today. Just slightly third of the total world population uh, is following Jesus uh, today as we speak. You've got to remember that this started with 12, I don't know how you would describe them, but not like world beaters, right? They just, they couldn't organise themselves out of a paper bag. 
like these 12 with the surrounding. And, and today we've got 2.3 billion followers uh, of the person of Jesus. You know, we've got to remember today that in the last 10 years, there'll be more Christians, have be, uh, more people in Iran have become Christians in the last 10 years than have actually become Christians in the last 10 centuries. In sub-Saharan Africa in, in, nine, in 1910, 9% of the population were Christian. Uh, today, or in, in 2010, 63% of the population have become uh, Christians. It's an absolutely enormous um, scale up, right? You know, the, I've talked about this before, but you know, when, in the Cultural Revolution, when China became communist, and, you know, the Bible was, complete, was banned, com completely banned. It was illegal to have a Bible. Today, the larger, largest printer of Bibles is China. This printing press, this printing factory in China is 10 football fields wide. It prints 12 million copies a year, and it's translated into 80 different languages, one of which is Braille. You know, it's absolutely phenomenal what Jesus is doing in the world, out there, but also in this land, also, also here in New Zealand. You know, the story of New Zealand, the story of the gospel coming to New Zealand is no less remarkable than those stories. In fact, it's, it's one of the most remarkable missionary stories um, that we have in the world today. I mean, let's just have a look at these figures. Here's, oh, let's jump to the next one. Here it is. We kick off in 18, um, 1814 with zero people becoming Christians. You know, it's such, this is such a great, you know, um, uh, what do you call, you know, um, pitch for capital, right? So we're going to start year zero with no people becoming Christians. Then, uh, in 1825, one person becomes a Christian. Things are going well, right? Great return on investment, by the way. Then, this happens. In 1852, 80,000 Māori become Christians. This represents 85% of the Māori adult population. This, basically, what happened here was a revival took place in these shores. This is the remarkable story of the gospel in this land. This is the story of which we are also a part of. And it's a story that really comes um, also in the most remarkable way. You know, the, the story of mission in the world primarily is about missionaries going out, right? Going from one land uh, to another. Gosh, this microphone's giving me a rash. Do you know what? We're going to switch gear. Is that cool? Ooh. Call the ambulance. Um, yeah, so the vast majority of mission in the world is basically missionaries uh, going somewhere or being sent out. However, what's so unique about the New Zealand story is actually uh, it's about the story of Ruatara and Māori welcoming and inviting the mission into our shores, into the shores of Aotearoa New Zealand. And it was this most re um, remarkable partnership between Ruatara and Samuel Marsden on 1814, on Christmas Day, together planting the seed of the gospel uh, into this land. And it's not only an amazingly unique story in that regard, that, that it's not about so much missionaries coming, but rather being invited in, but it's also a story about an amazing friendship 
between Ruatara and Samuel Marsden, a deep friendship, a friendship that developed over a number of years out of deep respect and deep love for each other. The gospel actually was born into this land. But it's not just between a friendship. There's real international uh, connections in all of this. And that is because the people that both funded and sent Samuel Marsden uh, to New Zealand at the invitation of Ruatara was a group of people that used to meet in this church here. It's in Clapham, it's in West London, it's called Holy Trinity Clapham. And this was a group of people, it was a group of um, uh, church leaders, it's a church of business leaders, and it's a church, uh, sorry, it's a group of political leaders. And they used to gather in this church, many of them were the parishioners of this church in Clapham, and they used to meet together for Bible study, they used to meet together to pray. And this church basically became the spiritual seedbed for one of the most radical moves of justice. Um, in, uh, in the UK. The group was known as the Clapham Sect, and the most famous person um, that you may know from the Clapham Sect um, was a person called William Wilberforce. Now, William Wilberforce led the British Parliament to um, basically ban slavery uh, within the UK, and then eventually uh, throughout the, um, uh, the British Empire. Now, what was a great honour of this trip as part of going to the UK is that I got to actually go and revisit this church. We can just flick back to the slide before. It's just, you know, a very humble church. Here it is. Um, this is a church that actually Steve uh, Gavin was involved in actually replanting 10 years ago. That's another story. But the real amazing thing about this church, where these people gathered, if we, um, thanks Richard, if we can go into the next slide, is this floor and if you have a close-up of this, what you see is on the way to the, commun on the, way to the communion table is that you have this, these tiles that form a black slavery chain. And that chain is broken by uh, the cross. And then if you go a little bit further in, what you see is this table here, this mahogany table, was the very table on which they signed the Abolition of Slavery Act. You know, what a powerful moment. Every time you come in this church to go and take uh, communion, you walk over the chains of slavery that have been broken by the cross and you receive bread and wine uh, from the table in which uh, made slavery illegal, right? Absolutely amazing. What I'm wanting to say here is, you know, whatever the gospel is about, it's actually much bigger than our own personal spirituality. What's at stake here is the resurrection is actually about the renewal of all things, not only our lives, but also economic systems, also political systems uh, of injustice. And that's because real people are involved in those too. So what Jesus is doing, what through the resurrection is doing, is actually releasing power for the renewal of not only everything, but every part of human culture, every sphere of human life is up for, for renewal through the power of uh, the resurrection. And I want to tell you this story because, you know, in many ways, this is our story. We're a part of this. 
And we're a part of this not only because we ourselves are followers of Jesus. I mean, that is, of course, true. But in fact, this is part of our story because, you know, as an Anglican church, we've got to remember that. I'm not a very good Anglican vicar. I don't look like one. One day I will, perhaps. Don't hold your breath. You know, but as an Anglican church, this is part of our spiritual DNA because in 1807, when William Wilberforce signed the Abolition of Slavery Act on that table, it was the very same year that the Clapham sect decided to say yes to funding the CMS mission into New Zealand. William Wilberforce himself actually personally sponsored um, Samuel Marsden to come to New Zealand. You know, this is, this, this is part of our story. This is part of our spiritual DNA. So when we talk about St. Augustine's, it's about that we're following the way of Jesus. We're learning to follow Jesus for the renewal of all things. This is part of the story. This is part of the DNA that, you know, we have been called into uh, to reflect uh, into the light and bring into the world. You know, the reality is the success of St. Augustine's is never about how many people we actually get to gather in here. I mean, that's important. And I'm glad you're here. Look how charming you all are. You know, wonderful that you're all here. But the real success of St. Augustine's is actually not what we do in here, but it's actually the effect that you guys have out there, right? That's the story. This, that's the Clapham story. That's the story of, um, you know, of the Anglican Church in the UK. It's the story that actually we had welded into here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And it's the story that I want to, you know, that I want to say is so key to the life of St. Augustine's. Again, you know, for us as a church, we've, we want to be a flourishing and growing church that is amazing for, you know, us as, you know, a, as a congregation. Yes, absolutely yes. But you know what? You know, I'm actually here for a lot more than that. Our leadership team is here for a lot more than that. And actually, I believe that actually you guys here are actually here for a lot more than that also. We do want to do this well. Of course, that's absolutely important. But the vision of St. Augustine's has actually always been about four things. Flourishing church ministry, absolutely true. But secondly, we're also about leadership training. We're about planting churches. And we're also about the revitalization of the church uh, in this land, in you know, these shores. And, you know, and so I want, I, you know, I can see a future where we're actually training leaders, training leaders for ministry. In particular, you know, you know, Maori and Pacifica leaders are going to be key to all of this. And we have the people in the room to actually get this done already. We've got more PhDs in theology in this room than any other church I know of. We've got half the staff, it feels like, of both Kerry and Laidlaw here, you know, ready to go to, to roll this out. We've got amazing business leaders and, and people who, you know, who are leaders in their field here, entrepreneurs who can think about how to get things done. We have the resources gathered here already to do this. And in fact, we already are doing this. You know, we have Sam and Stacey Henare here with us. They're from Tikanga Māori. They're training with us at the moment. And in fact, you know, once a month with our support, they go up to Motatao Marae to take a service to lead people in worship, to preach and do uh, kids' church up there. In fact, they're, here to, they're up there doing that today. So we're already beginning to you know, roll into this. 
But it's not only that. I kind of can see us basically planting into a range of churches that have declined, that have shut their doors, and basically that need revitalization and renewal. And in fact, of course, we're only just kind of proof of concept ourselves of this, right? You know, we are in a situation where, you know, when we began in 2016, we began with, you know, um, you know like 30 adults and about 17 kids. And our role has actually continued to grow from there. And so today we have, you know, 300 adults on our roll and 200 kids on our roll. And here's the key thing. We're in a situation of cultural church decline, yet St. Augustine's uh, continues to grow. And so, I mean, it's very exciting about that. But also what was key about our trip in the UK was that, um, you know, as a governance team, um, what we, you know, was a key part of kind of sending Steve and myself over there was that we would reconnect with a group of churches and a network of churches that have actually been planting and revitalizing the church uh, in the UK. And I want to show you a small example of what they have been able to do. Here's one Here's one test case of one church which they've um, worked through to revitalise a number of other churches. It's called St. Peter's Brighton, and they replanted this um, in 2009. It had been shut since 2007. No people. Doors were shut. So they, um, in a church that, um, that created the Alpha Program called Holy Trinity Brompton, they sent a team in 2009 to replant this amazing church in Brighton. It does look amazing, doesn't it? I mean, compared to this auditorium, we could, uh, we could move in there, all right? We could do that, we could do that. But here's the church planting and the revitalization story that has come out from this church. So here's the next slide. So basically, um, every two years, from St. Peter's Brighton, they have been able to plant uh, other churches, and they are the churches uh, you see here in pink. And in particular, in 2016, for example, they planted um, Harbour Church in, in Portsmouth. And in 20, they did that in 2016, and they quickly were able to plant another generation of churches, as you see in purple, at the same time that the first generation of churches are also you know, planting other churches. You know, you can really see the multiplier effect start to kick in here. And what was so wonderful about the Harbour Church in Portsmouth, that they actually um, were offered and they planted into a church in Wales, in Cardiff. And of course, you know, check the date, 2022. It's a funny old year to be planting a church, right? Mid-pandemic. Not, it's, it's actually pretty difficult to get the church going at the best of times. Pandemic on top of that. Super difficult, right? So they got offered this amazing church in Cardiff, and of course they weren't able to open the doors. So what they did is the team, they got a horse float, and they converted it into a mobile cafe. And so they went around the area, handing out coffees, connecting with people, helping those who are really struggling in this time um, of COVID, just to kind of encourage them and get them back on their feet. When they eventually opened the doors, uh, lots of people came into uh, the church and they really began to grow. And the Diocese of Cardiff, seeing what the Spirit was doing, seeing the way they were actually for the community, seeing the way they were actually trying to genuinely help people, they said to this team, we want to give you 30 churches to go and do the same into. 30, Right? Uh, and I just, I'm, I'm just laying this out for you 
as an example of how this network has been able to uh, revitalise the church into the UK. And this is just one example of this. What was so wonderful about our meeting in the UK is not only did they get we get to talk about uh, St Augustine's, um, but this, this, if we flick back to the slide, it's these guys here said, hey, we would really like to partner with you to do something of this in New Zealand, uh, actually through St Augustine's. And, um, you know, they really love the vision. They said, we want to be able to partner with you so that, you are not, so that you would be able to be a resourcing church that was actually flourishing, that was able to plant, that was actually able to train leaders and to bring about some of the revitalization and play a part really in the revitalization in the church of Aotearoa New Zealand. These people want to help us and they're wanting to partner with us. And so we're in this phase of exploring that uh, relationship as we speak. You know, as I see it today, you know, I, can, you know, I see as we kind of, we go up and down the country, what we see is a number of churches that are empty. We see a number of people with empty lives. And what I want to see is actually these empty churches filled again. I want to see people who've got empty lives filled with the Holy Spirit, and actually completely transformed by uh, the love of God. So I want to see these churches filled with people in a real sense of the generosity and the redemption, the reconciliation of humanity with God through the revitalization of the church in New Zealand. And these guys just want to help. They want to help us step into that reality. Help us to step into the vision that we've actually held since, you know, 2016. You know, the day-to-day -day reality of where things stand for us today is, you know, of course, you know, this is all on the cards and we're exploring this. And look, I, honestly, I couldn't be more excited to be like, if we can light the fuse on this, this will be absolutely amazing. The staff team, the governance team, the lead, wider leadership team. Now, this is a wonderful moment for us. This is kind of what, this is the breakthrough we've been actually looking for, for a really long time. But the day-to-day -day reality of where we are at, and this is where I'm going to talk about our finances, is that we're actually growing at a rate that's actually outstripping our finances. And so there's a bit of a gap between our financial uh, growth and actually our numerical growth. And um, I know it's been tough, and look, this is the case for many, many people, uh, many sectors out there. We're actually running ever so slightly uh, behind um, our forecasted uh, budget for today also. And so I want to um, just invite you into, you know, thinking about, hey, how can we kind of meet that financial gap today so that we can, you know, really make this a reality? Part of the, um, part of the you know, the, um, the, the culture here and the invitation here at St. Augustine's is that every adult is involved in some kind of regular giving, sowing into the financial life and health of St. Augustine's. And look, that's been amazing. We do, that's the main way people, you know, our, our cash flow is basically all mainly around APs. But I just want to say that, you know, for those people who are new to St. Augustine's, you might not know that. And so I've really got three things I want us to think about today. And um, that is, if you haven't, um, if you're part of St. Augustine's, you're part of the Fano here, you feel like this is home and you haven't begun an AP, uh, please begin one. 
um, because um, that really enables us to plan and enables us to be really careful with our finances. And we can actually, again, fuel ministry uh, into the future. If we know where the finances are tracking, we can actually build the ministry to actually meet that and extend that. So if you're not on an AP, uh, please consider doing that. Um, you can either do that by setting that up at the bank or by um, setting it up through Tithely, which is an app that we have, and you can do that off your credit card. Uh, the second thing is that perhaps you have begun um, you know, doing an AP and you kicked that off in 2017 which was amazing, right? Uh, today is a, just a little moment just to ask yourself, hey, is that right size for 2023? So just check in with yourself. It's always good to check with your partner as well before you start doing you know, crazy financial things. But just check in with yourself to say, hey, is that actually right sized uh, for the moment? Uh, the third thing today is um, I want to ask you, you know, if you're in a financial position uh, to do so, maybe you could consider actually giving us a one-off gift. And that will immediately put finances into the system and give us a real confidence uh, to move ahead. You know, I feel we're poised at a critical moment in the life of St. Augustine's. You know, I feel that we, as we explore what um, uh, this connection with the UK, you know, these are the people who not only um, have been doing this, but this is the same group of people that are connected to the Clapham sect that actually sent you know, Marsden and the gang to NZ, they funded and resourced that. You know, these are the people who are wanting us to basically get us going here in NZ also. But we do have to live in a day-to-day -day financial reality uh, also. So I'm asking you today um, whether you just take a moment with me now and just ask God how you're to respond. We all give, we all participate, that's true. How much is literally between you and God. I personally don't want to know it, right? Um, unless it's a lot of money, and then I really do want to know it. <laughs> I'm only joking. But, um, but we're, we're poised at a really, really critical moment. You know, the church is the work of the many, not the few. We need everybody in on this, everyone in on this, if we're going to make this work, if we're going to jump this gap and basically really start to hit that tipping point and we're leaning into all that God um, has been calling us to do. So what I want to do now is we're just going to have, um, Dave's going to be a timer. Can you give us a time for one minute? All right. This is a one-minute pause. This is a conversation between you and God. And just ask God, what, how should I respond to this situation? And then um, after that minute, we're going to get the admin done. And we're going to just write on this card exactly what you said, uh, feel that God has said to you uh, to do. Then we're going to gather up those cards as we, um, there's going to be some music come up um, as we do that. And then we're going to take communion together. Is that cool? So let's do the one minute. And let's just be before God, be before God's spirit um, and listen to what God has to say to us. Ready, set, 